1: Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. Here we go. We got a phenomenal show for you today. I just want to thank everybody for joining our podcast day in and day out, watching us Monday through Friday at 12 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. We do this every single weekday, Monday through Friday at 12 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. It's your saltwater guide. We have a phenomenal guest with us today. We're going to run over a couple things real quick before we bring them in. Gang, don't forget about CCA California. We got a bunch of stuff on the plate for that. Don't forget the dinner that we're having, the Anthony Shea dinner at uh, Hubs in SeaWorld. Don't forget about that. We have a few seats available. Todd Manser just joined us. He's going to have his own table at the thing. So grab that QR code. It's on August 3rd. You want to be there. It's going to be who's who of the industry on August 3rd, and we're going to be on SeaWorld at SeaWorld After Hours. First, we start off at the Hubs Research Center, then we move over to SeaWorld After Hours to have dinner and celebrate Bill Shedd. His father was the uh, master creator of SeaWorld back in the day. He had the idea, he put it together. You can watch the whole uh, interview I did with Bill six years ago over at yoursaltwaterguide.com. But with no further ado, this man that we're bringing in today has got more history in the industry than I do, which is hard to believe he's a couple of days older than me, but Steve Carson's been around for a very, very long time. He's got a lot of great things going on. He's super connected with the taking kids fishing deal that I am so deeply involved in and giving back to the war heroes and all the different things that he's Hall of Fame. He's just so involved in the industry. It's going to be great to have him on the show and talk about all the great things that he has on his plate, what he's doing every day. And this guy fishes more than anybody that doesn't drive a boat for a living that I know. Steve Carson, come on in and let's get you going here. Welcome to the show, Steve.
0: Hey, it's a miracle of modern electronics. It is great
1: to be here. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for doing this. It's hard to believe, right? I'm in Cabo. You're in San Diego or on... I don't think I would have ever thought this was possible this was science fiction start stuff. Is.
0: it is it's great though so happy to be here and, and happy we can do it and and share some of this stuff with people that uh, that you know some of the old people out there have heard these
1: my stories 50 times but hopefully the younger people haven't heard them yet Right. And they, and everybody keeps going to your seminars, just like they keep going to mine because they want to hear another, because we know we have some stories inside of our heads that we haven't told yet. So hopefully we get into a few that people haven't heard, but Steve, you've been doing this for so long. How did you get started in fishing? What happened? Because you have this disease as bad as anybody. Well, you know, obviously a little bit of, a little bit of uh, fortuitous
0: location geographically, Um, You know, when I was a kid, I was bad at all the regular sports, bad at football, bad at baseball, bad at basketball, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I lived, I grew up in Culver City, California, um, which is about on the nose, 5.0 miles as the bicycle rolls from Venice Pier and about six and a half miles from Marina Del Rey, Jetty, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so we would just do that. As often as we could, it's a miracle we were never run over. And also, uh, if you understand the history of Culver City, uh, when I was young, MGM Studios was still a going concern. And um, the famous lot number three was still there, pretty much deactivated. They weren't filming too much there. But they had the famous lake, uh, fake lake, of course, where they filmed Gone with the Wind showboat captains, courageous, uh, all the, uh, um, three stooges externals that they were shooting outside, especially if they're shooting on the water, they shot right on that Lake. And, um, it had primarily, um, you know, uh, goldfish and Koi and stuff let go by generations of movie stars, kids that let them go in the Lake. They filmed tar all, almost all the Tarzans were shot there in the water. And, uh, at one point, Statute of limitations is over because I think it's about sixty years ago. Um, It would be a felony today, but we transplanted uh, bass and bluegill from Alondra Park Lake. That's Alondra Park Lake is still there and probably still has bass and bluegill in it. We transplanted them into into the lake at MGM. They never really took. um, You know the koi carp were just too too dominant, and that was the main thing that we could catch. But um, yeah, so if we didn't if we didn't want to ride our bikes all the way to Venice Pier. We could fish in that in that famous lake, um, and there's lots of Three Stooges shorts where they go fishing. So take a look at them, and you'll you'll see that lake. Nice. Um, and, so and and, and uh, luckily, you know, there were there were enough kids uh, that were also interested in fishing that uh, you know we were able to to do it. And a key thing was weaseling rides from parents. To get down to Redondo, uh, although we could ride, a, we could we could ride the bus to Redondo, it was hard. You had to do two transfers, and the bus drivers didn't like rods in the bus. <laughs> but but we could uh, we could usually weasel, you know, if we had enough kids to choose from, we could we could um, weasel a, a ride. And then I remember the 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 Redondo skiff back in the glory days of King Harbor, and and again, so fortunate that that was available. There were uh, lots of bonita, some mackerel, some some bass, some barracuda, but mainly bonita uh, available. Even if you couldn't afford a, a a rowboat, we would literally rent a rowboat for five dollars in the afternoon with four kids. So it was a dollar thirty-three each, <laughs> and um, that was just terrific, terrific fishing. Even if we didn't have that much money, uh, if we had you know a buck to spend all day on lunch, our parents were more than happy to let. Redondo Harbor babysit us, and um, uh, yeah, you know we got we got really good at at analyzing the conditions because believe it or not, even Bonita, you know they get they, they get a little finicky, and sometimes when when the power plant, the famous bubble hole, was really warm, something would happen to the to the Bonita's um, metabolism. They'd be there, but they wouldn't bite anything, and so we got really good at snagging them. Uh, anybody that remembers that day, those days, uh, you know, in the, the late '60s, early '70s, um, when the Bonita would just turn off, just a couple of big treble hooks and a big sinker, and you could get all you wanted. It was it was a, an amazing, amazing time. I'm so fortunate to have lived through it. And then occasionally in the in the early fall, there would be yellowtail inside the harbor at Redondo, uh, right there in the bubble hole, and once again, back then, the the minimum wage was $1.65. I was making $1.65 working at the, my local sporting goods store. And live squid were 50 cents each. Oh, my gosh. And every cast was a bite of something. Every cast was either a blue perch biting your, your, your squid in half or a bonita or hopefully a yellowtail. And we would easily, you know, spend our entire a week's salary on live squid in about three hours. So where would they keep the live squid? In, in the um, bay receiver, they had it right there in the bay receiver in King Harbor. So how would you,
1: oh, so you go there on your rowboat? We go in our rowboat,
0: boat. and many people will also remember the famous bait sleds that you had to rent for a dollar a day. That you can uh, keep the bait in when you rode around. Keep the bait in, and I, the, and you could get about a half a scoop of anchovies. I don't remember how much they were. Obviously, way 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 cheaper than they are now. Um, but you know, a, a couple of bucks, I think three or four bucks for, for a half a scoop of Chovies and that could keep four kids just doubled over on Bonito pretty much all day long.
1: Oh my gosh. The good old days. And there was no, none of those, uh, big furry cuddly animals swimming around that were there. They
0: were around, but they were very cautious because that was in the days when you could do stuff to them. And I never did anything but uh you know the, the the people that worked on the bait barge for instance and i know that all of them are long past because they were old then um yeah they sometimes did things that would be extremely illegal
1: today right but it was just a kinder softer cuddlier time in the harbor back then redondo beach a lot of the old timers talk there a lot of the old timers talk about the glory days of in there on the bubble hole and that yellowtail bite. I heard there was sea bass in there too, right? You ever catch any of those? I never
0: caught any of those. Every now and then, the the famous Redondo bluefin would kind of shoot in for, you know, for uh, a few minutes. Uh, I think I caught one or two of those, never, you know, never a big one. They were, by modern standards, they were they were literally one or two-year-old bluefin. You know, they were, you know, 12, 14 pounds. Uh, caught quite a few of them outside, just outside the harbor, you know, on the, uh, on the boat city of Redondo. That's uh, something. Inside, inside the harbor, it was pretty unusual. I'm sure there were sea bass, but um, we never found them. There was one spot where you could pretty reliably catch halibut, um, mostly shorts, but they were kind of there. Um, Redondo Harbor just had a lot of fish in it. Um, there yeah, was spotted was... bass and calico bass and, and uh, opali, and it was just an amazing time. And again, uh, you'd see a little fish there somewhere, whether it was an opal eye or a spotted bass, and you had to figure out. How am I going to fool that fish? And so you really got good at just kind of piecing the bits of the puzzle together. Oh man, there, oh, those those are the I, I missed those giant fish die-offs inside the harbor. Oh yeah, uh,
1: those must have been uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. I I, did, I wasn't around for any of those. I was there the last time it happened in uh, Marina del Rey Harbor. It was absolutely crazy. I was running a. Uh, 80-foot ferretti back then, and the boat was so covered in bird poo. You can't even comprehend how much bird poo was on the boat when that happened. I mean, there you go. You see a bunch of birds in that one picture. The birds went absolutely nuts. Well, And it's nothing bad, gang. It's not about poison or anything. It's about a massive amount of fish all swimming into a little harbor at the same time and they go in there to feed and they all go in there and then they burn all the oxygen up because there's so many fish and that's why they die it's not because the water is polluted or anything like that it cycles like steve said it's been going on forever so don't think it's the end of the world take a deep breath but one thing i wanted to talk about you said you mentioned something about the bluefin coming into redondo i know and you know we know how we had to catch them we had to use some stuff that people won't even comprehend you had to have a reel that you could cast an anchovy talk about the size of the hook i know you know the i actually still have a half a box
0: i bought a hermosa tackle box of the of the one case of mustad live bait hooks size 10 that were imported into the united states um Usually we we used eights. If the bait was really good in the fish were biting, you could use a six, not a six zero, a six. Six. Usually used an eight, an and eight. I, I sort of like to say that there was no floor. I wish we had fluorocarbon. Gosh, imagine that. Could imagine that. Um, we had to use twelve pound test because you couldn't land them on ten, and they wouldn't bite fifteen. Nope. So so it was twelve pound test, and uh, again. Uh, you know, we you you keep feeding me little rabbit holes to run down. Um, <laughs> what, probably the most popular reel in those days for that was the Pan Jigmaster 501 Junior, and that plastic spool just loved to explode. Explode when you yep. would use that 12 pound test to hook one. They, they weren't giant bluefin, but um, Carl Newell, the great Carl Newell, um, decided that he needed to make an aluminum spool for himself specifically for those redondo bluefin. Right. And, and he had the ability, he had the manufacturing ability to make a, a one-off spool for himself. And a couple of people saw that and said, Hey, can you make one of those for me? And uh, you know, the entire, you know, Newell spool. And then later on the Newell real revolution came out of those redondo
1: bluefin. Yeah, the Squidder Jr. with the 196.7 saber rod, and you could cast that anchovy with the number eight hook and the 12-pound monofilament. That was the thing. But I remember before Carl built the spools and built the whole reel, we had those Squitter Jr. And you had, this is the only choices you had back then. You had a plastic spool or you had a metal spool. The metal spool, gang, you can't comprehend, you could not cast it. So you had to go with your plastic spool. And we used to pack ours down in Dana Point because we were fishing Clementi back in those days, and we would put Dacron on the bottom of the spool, but load it really light so it would squish and give a little. But it still, it would still blow up. The side plate would pop off three quarters of the way through your battle. It just happened all the time. You would, I remember Steve, we'd be fighting those bluefin. And you'd just going, oh, my gosh, I'm going to actually get this one without the side plate blowing off. And then that last 10 minutes, it would pop. And you would just be, oh, wah, wah, wah. And then you'd hope that you had a good captain and a good deckhand and they could hand line it in for you.
0: Yeah. Right. Well,
1: we, we didn't use Dacron. We were too cheap. We used kite string. But didn't, <laughs> it
0: didn't work any better than the Dacron.
1: Yeah, I was lucky that my dad had a little sport fishing landing off the San Clemente pier back then. So we got to use the high end stuff, you know, <laughs> take it right off the rental rods and crank it onto our squitter juniors. But, um, so then you were doing this when you were a kid, then you got into, you kind of touched on it a little bit. You got into the retail thing. You got into selling fish and tackle for a living for a little while uh, for, well, <laughs> for 30 years or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it, you know, and
0: ironically, I'm pretty sure that I got the job because when I went in there, um, the the something had happened to the refrigerator and the bait had gone really, really bad. As you know, bait how bad bait can go, and I said, "Oh yeah, dead bait. I'll be happy to clean that out." So, um, yeah, they're like, okay, give this kid a job, and um, you know, just you know, I, I I hate to be like now kids, you know, work really hard, but you know what? Every single job I had, if it was sweeping out the back. If it was, you know, coming in and working on, you know, on a holidays on the 4th of July and Labor Day and, you know, and, and unload trucks, do whatever I had to do, work my way up, um, you know, as they say, got into, into management and and again, a little bit of luck, a little bit of timing, managed to get myself uh, assigned as a store manager on Point Loma you know, <laughs> in, the, in, in 1978. And, uh, and had that job for, uh, you know, a little over a decade. And then um, uh, maybe made the mistake of taking a promotion back to Los Angeles. Even though right. I'd grown up there, um, I always, you know, I always knew San Diego was the best. You know, even when we were kids, as soon as we could actually drive, we stopped going to Redondo and just started just going straight to San Diego. Um, right. And, um, yeah, so I came back to Los Angeles in a um, – you know, in a more executive type, uh, position in the, in the, in the sporting goods industry. And, you know, that was, you know, just not the life I wanted to live, but I did it for a a number of years and then said, I'm going to take some early retirement and then spend a few years as, as an outdoor writer. That's a fun job. As long as you don't need too much money. (laughs) Um, and then so somewhere along the line, I went from being the kid to being the elder statesman. I'm not really quite sure how that happened. But but here I am, you know, and I've just spent, um, you know, a, a lot of years fishing in a lot of places, mainly on the West Coast, a little bit back East. I also, I got to give credit where credit is due. Also in the early 70s, um, I met up with a with a guy that was very influential in my life. Ronnie Kovac, the late Ronnie Kovac, may he rest in peace. We miss him dearly, um, and uh, did a lot of different stuff with him. Did his television show with him. Did his radio show with him, which, uh, when Ronnie passed, kind of morphed into uh, Sergio Feinstein's radio show. I still do that with him. Love doing stuff with Sergio as much as possible. Anglers Chronicles. Um, Anglers Chronicles. Um, but but you know but but Ronnie was. Um, intellectually on a different level than most of us fishermen. You know, he was a a UCLA. I, I met him, I was still a high school student, and he had transferred to UCLA to do his PhD work in sociology. But he also, from UC Riverside, he had been working in sporting goods store. So we met up working at the same sporting goods store. I was the local kid, that knew where all the secret spots were at marina del rey i didn't i didn't i never took ronnie to uh mgm sorry um <laughs> but i knew where the secret spots were at marina del rey um at, at at redondo um we had a couple of very memorable uh nighttime bat ray fishing sessions and in, in the early 70s uh again ronnie was prime at that point was primarily uh had been a bass fisherman out right. in riverside and so Every new saltwater thing that I showed him uh, was just a revelation. And, and again, his mind was completely different and elevated from, from all the rest of us, pretty much. And right. um, I'm glad that I was able to spend a number of years doing a lot of different types of work with him. And um, so here we are. I'm here.
1: Yeah, hold on one second. Hey, gang, I want you to check out Pacific Sport Fishing Alliance. We had Larry with us last week. We're going to show you something real quick here about Larry's operation at Pacific Sport Fishing Alliance. And we'll jump right back in with Steve in just a second. So check this little thing out real quick. It kind of gives you a synopsis of what's going on at Pacific Sport Fishing.
2: Hey, guys, Larry Hansen, founder of Pacific Sport Fishing Alliance here. So I'm gonna do a quick video and uh, talk about what uh, Pacific Sport Fishing Alliance does. Uh, we, do, we do a few things, but uh, mainly we provide bucket list style trips, plus everyday type fishing trips at affordable prices, plus we have an alliance, a club, where you can join and travel to, to destinations all on a wholesale basis. Uh, right now, our locations include Gustavus, Alaska, uh, where we do salmon and halibut and shrimp and crab and rockfish and lingcod. Uh, we do, uh, in Mexico, we do San Quentin, we do Gonzaga Bay, we do Bahia de Sangles, we do La Bocana, we do, uh, we do uh, Abriojos, and I think I mentioned MAG Bay as well. Uh, we're also in the process of purchasing a long-range boat here in San Diego. Uh, trips from one day to, to ten days and all the way down to MAG Bay. So that's in the process right now. Uh, we have our own full-service uh, travel booking company that we've uh, built that uh, we can help uh, members and guests uh, book, book their travel. Uh, we have uh, deals cut with major tackle manufacturers for tackle discounts. Uh, to do that. Uh, we also have a bunch of condo inventory that we've acquired. It allows our, our, our clientele to go out and book condos all over the world on a cost basis. So that's kind of in a nutshell. I just wanted to talk about those, those things real quick. We our company's model is we believe in fishing at the best locations at the best time of year with the best gear for the best results. You know we won't fish anything in the off season when it's cold and windy. So if something interests you guys, you know, please email or call us. Uh, we'll give you a much more detailed explanation. Again, Pacific Sport Fishing Alliance. I'm Larry Hansen, I'm the founder. Uh, my, my cell phone number's posted all over our website. Uh, or you can send me an email, uh, I always answer all of those. Thanks for watching, hope to see you guys fishing soon.
1: And we'll throw that QR code up there so you get a better look at what Larry's doing and you can check that out, scan that with your phone while we're talking. But Steve, back to... L- back to a Ronnie Kovacs, you and him were on the cutting edge of starting this university of fishing thing. You guys were the guys, no matter what anybody says, there wasn't, there wasn't really anything like this going on. And then the whole giving back to the kids and taking kids fishing and everything. Let's talk about that for a little bit, because that is something near and dear to my heart. I know how important it is to you. So I'd like to talk about that for a little bit. Then we'll get into all the other cool stuff you do, but this thing's, Big time, big deal, this university fishing thing. Well, yeah, the instructional thing
0: absolutely was was Ronnie's brainchild. And I guess I'm I'm flattered that Ronnie, uh, while he was working the whole thing up, um, and actually, you know, a few years earlier, he sort of sketched the whole thing out. We were on, we rented a skiff back when you could do that, out of Paradise Cove. Oh, my God. We were going, you know, and using a green bomber gumpy jig with a squid trailer (laughs) Um, and catching some nice calico bass. And Ronnie kind of sketched this whole thing out. We were much younger than I, I just thought, Oh, come on, you know, that can't happen. That'll never happen. But then, uh, you know, uh, take about a decade and a half later. And, you know, both of us are, uh, you know, much more uh, accomplished professionally and he sketches this whole thing out. And again, Ronnie comes from the academic side, so I thought, hmm, okay. And he says, "I, I just, but I can't do it without you." So I was pretty complimented. Yeah, with that. and and we started out with um, uh, 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 the late uh, uh, Captain Irv Grisbeck, yeah, uh, who was who was game for the for the concept, as well as, and thankfully he is still with us, uh, Captain Buzz Brizendine, and we started doing it just instructional trips, Ronnie started advertising them. There was no internet then Uh, we advertised them word of mouth. I I think there was some Western outdoor news ads and uh, just, you know, uh, going out and doing it. And, and, and also sort of just making fishing fun because you're not always going to have a record catch of yellowtail or anything else sometimes. And I used to say that, you know, Ronnie, we can go out and make a catch of mackerel and sculpin, and people have had a good time with you. I said, that's, that's pretty unique. And, and also Ronnie was just not, a, not afraid at all of breaking the mold and just doing something different. Right. And, um, uh, back then, I, I think the landings probably then, and and now again, probably still do make a pretty good amount of money on rental gear, but Ronnie also sort of pioneered the uh, here's a big pile of the manufacturer's tackle that you're, you're welcome to use. In fact, he encouraged them to do it as he would have a sponsorship of, uh, you know, the, the major tackle manufacturers. And, and it's funny, I had been you, you know, sort of fortunate way, way back when, when I was starting out. Um, the Penn sales rep, uh, old people will remember when Mac McDonald with the big, big handlebar mustache was the Penn sales rep uh, both of his sons, when they were, uh, working their way through college, worked at my store. Oh, wow. Um, so I had, I had early, early contact with the, with the Penn people. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I never fired their, their, you know, the, the boys were both really good. Um, yeah, they, they were great employees. Um, you know, I don't know if their dad threatened them that if they got fired that, that he would disown them. I don't know, but they were, they were really great. Uh, Mac and Pat, um, And, um, so we had, you know, our, our industry connections and we were able to get, you know, prizes and sort of that whole concept of, of giving stuff away. Like if you show up, you, um, uh, you know, you get this lure and he also would break things out to where an instructor and he had other instructors besides me, because it wasn't very hard to get people to volunteer to do that. Um, uh, go over here and you get an instruction on how to fish with this lure. Go over here, you get an instruction on how to fish with bait. And uh, literally broke it into classes and, and, you know, Ronnie just had ideas and he kept pushing it, kept, kept doing better and more innovative things. Um, Some people got really good. You know, some people are harder to teach, but uh, we, we always had a great time doing it. We had some really memorable times um in our pre bluefin years pre uh, pre 2016 not counting that not counting anything since then we had one of the greatest catches ever in san diego and we weren't even ready for it we rolled up on the patty people will remember the patty of september of 1990 and we caught with a bunch of people at least half of whom had never even saltwater fish before um and nothing like the modern tackle we have today. We caught 66 big eye tuna <laughs> from about 60 to 120 pounds. And it was absolute mayhem and chaos. Orlando 66 tuna. I'm certain we hooked 200. Um, they
1: are, um, of all was, the tuna, they are the gnarliest fighters of all the tuna. Yeah, you have it was I'm
0: insanity. And 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 memorable because uh, there was another boat, you know, on the same patty with a, a writer from the Los Angeles times who was aboard and he was watching the mayhem, sort of watching with, with glee, the mayhem on our boat with, with less experienced anglers. One of my personal rods, I wasn't holding it. You know, it was kind of like the, the angler on the deck hand kind of got uh, miscommunications and my personal rod went overboard. The LA times guy got a, a perfect view of that and made kind of a big deal out of it in his, in his recap of, of the weekends fishing. So uh, that was but but again, these right now are the good old days of of Southern California fishing. Oh, Oh, absolutely. I I, I can't emphasize how good things are and not just bluefin. Now, granted, we were on a long range trip. We're on an eight day trip. But I've been on a lot of eight day trips to a lot of places and down to the ridge and 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 Cedros and everywhere else. And we had, it was really two days, but in particular one day, absolutely the best extended surface iron bite on Yellowtail, nice ones, um, ever. And I mean ever. Um, and uh, uh, I did I forgot to send you any pictures, so I'll send them to you later. Um, the passengers not only limited out, but we pooped out, um, you know, and just literally we were just like done fishing for yellowtail and we still had some time. So the crew decided to have a crew fish off surface, iron only big long rods only. So nothing but 10 foot rods. And, um, it was, and you know, there was one passenger was on the, on the, on the tank chumming another couple of passengers down wielding the gaffs, which was interesting. (laughs) Um, but it was absolutely insanity. Uh, And these guys, of course, were were all expert casters making big casts with the big 10-foot sticks and uh, just wailing, wailing on the fish. I would say maybe 75% of the fish were, you know, standard Coronado Islands grade, you know, 12 to 22-pounders, you know, what you would expect to catch. And about 25% of them were just slugs from 30 to 40 pounds. And you just didn't know which one was going to bite. Right and and basically we had all seven of the crew everybody even the cook's assistant was out there, I don't know wh- I don't know where the, all those ten foot rods were hiding, but <laughs> but all of a sudden they all had a ten foot rod with a really good iron tied on, and they were pretty much bit every cast, and um, it was it was spectacular and like I say this just happened, and right. uh, and and I'm pretty sure Renee won Renee Monteagudo who's the captain of the of the um, Shogun of the Shogun. Although Blake Wasano may say that he won, I'm just gonna say that it was it was a photo finish. It was really close between them. And all the guys basically were just hammering the fish. It was just spectacular, spectacular. And I even I had pooped out on the surface iron. <laughs> I got to where I'm like, okay, I had, I had, I was, I was pretty much out of energy, but I'm like, I've got these these collector model tri- treasured collector model jigs uh, that I'm I'm afraid to throw anymore, but I'm going to give each one of them one cast to see if they're as good as my, as my memory from the the old days says that they were. They they were a Taddy 8, a Taddy 7, an original Mac, and a 1974 production, which was the first year production, Taddy 45. I said, I'm going to make one cast with each one. And catch a fish or not, that's going to be it, because I don't I don't want to lose them. I caught a fish on every one.
1: And those are some vintage jigs. You don't want to lose them. Those look great. You got to yeah. describe to people, these are like collector's item, that tatty. Oh, I would be terrified to throw that out there. I'd have to have a big chunk of wire on the end of that. I, and
0: I didn't bring, probably, I don't know if I'm going to bring it or not, because, again, I get tempted I've actually still got a, a bartender still in the, in the original plastic. Oh. I'm guessing that if I'd had that on the boat with me, I would have cut the plastic open and thrown it just and to see. I did. And then you probably would have got a backlash and been so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> of course it would have been on that one, but, but, but yeah. So, I mean, and, and on our trip, our trip we caught besides limps of beautiful yellow tail, we caught some really nice halibut um, we tried to get some white sea bass, didn't quite do that. But you know what? White sea bass have never been any kind of a guarantee anywhere. Um, we caught only, um, wait, wait, I got it. air quotes, air quotes, only there's my air quotes, <laughs> 61 bluefin tuna. Oh, no. And they were only 40 to 100 pounds.
1: Yeah, the little ones.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I can hardly believe I'm saying things like that.
2: Yeah, um, we're so
0: spoiled. And, and, and the gear, again, uh, I, I got to give so much credit to the gear, the two-speed gear, uh, and, and kudos to Captain Russ Eiser for, develop, for developing, not the, not the fiber, uh, you know, not the Dyneema fiber, but taking the Dyneema technology and turning it into a fishing product that we can all oh, yeah. use. Again, there's lots of brands. Uh, you know, Russ even came up with the name Spectra, which is not actually the name of the fiber. The name of the fiber is Dyneema.
1: There's um, a beautiful surface iron right there. That's, that's my yeah. Teddy eight right there. Yeah. there One cast. Is. That's scary. You don't want that yellow tail. Don't move. Don't let it beat it on the deck. Oh. <laughs> and that Now that yellow tail is
0: caught. Uh, I caught him slow pitch jigging, which is uh, like another, you know, kind of a very cool, very, very gear dependent. Um, and I, you know, I, I, you know, I'm in, I'm in the tackle industry. So I do kind of like saying, Hey kids, here's this cool new way to fish. It's really fun and different. So you got to go buy a new rod and reel to do it. Right. I, and a bunch of new jigs. Um, but slow pitch jigging really is something that, um, and you and I talked about it a little bit. There's another, there's another one. Slow pitch. Um, I, I caught that fish at the 60 mile bank. In 550 feet of water, and that is my little pen, uh, 15 Extra Narrow. If you know how big that is, it's not a very big reel. Filled with 20-pound test line. That reel holds 900 yards of 20-pound test braid. So that jig um, is uh, that's a 280-gram jig. I forget what that is in ounces. And I got to the bottom very easily, literally straight up and down. And so there's a, I don't know what that is, maybe an eight or a 10 pound red. And obviously when the, the at some point there's a pressure change, but for the first hundred, 150 feet off the bottom, an eight or 10 pound red fights like an eight or 10 pound calico. Oh yeah. And you know, so now you're sport fishing for rockfish. And, um, you know, there's, there's lots of old guys who say, well, I remember when we used, uh, you know, a five pound sash weight and yeah. and 80 pound Dacron, but the, now the depth, the depth rules change, but the hook rules didn't change. So you're still, oh, oh, there's that, there's that girl that I was telling you about. Okay. Uh, that was, uh, uh, about a month or so ago at the, um, uh, at the Battle of the Branches, which was uh, all the branches of the military all in a fishing tournament against each other, uh, a beautiful event run by Joe Hines. I don't know how he does it. And I was blessed to p- be put on the 11th boat, which is the Gold Star boat. Uh, that's a, that's a, hard, a hard tugger, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. You on that boat. And uh, that young lady there, uh, you could just see she was eye of the tiger. She wanted to win and uh the captain of the jig strike had a spot saved for us with just some monster monster reds we dropped down over 500 feet and i granted i was holding the rod but she cranked the that's a double of an 8.6 and uh, and about a six pound red she cranked that all the way to the surface on her own i kept asking her do you want to rest no and she just cranked even harder And, uh, that 8.6 pound red, um, got her second place out of, I don't know, about 300 anglers, I think total, uh, almost all of them adults. And she got second place to a retired general. So that was an interesting photo there, uh, that, uh, I'm sure if you check out Joe Hines's, I don't, I don't, I don't have that picture. Uh, if you check out Joe Hines's site for uh, battle of the branches, you'll see her standing right next to, um. Uh, a guy that caught oh, you know, a, a ling cod that was maybe a half a pound heavier, but she cranked that thing up all on her own from over 500 feet. Nice. Um, in my mind, uh, she was, in fact, she ended up limiting out about halfway through the day. And I said, okay, okay, young lady, you know, you're on your own. Uh, you know how to catch fish. And I, I spent, um, uh, the rest of the day helping, uh, helping a, a couple of other kids out. And,
1: uh, but she was just she was in a class by herself. Next year she'll probably win. Nice. Hey, I want to jump back real quick to Ronnie Kovacs because I just got a story that I want to tell. When in my infantile days of seminars, which seems like a long time ago because I've been doing it just like you for so long, and but I was at the Fred Hall show in Long Beach, and I was doing the tank seminars, and you know five or six people would show up and. Ronnie was on the main stage doing a seminar and this was probably, oh my gosh, 25, 30 years ago. It was a while ago, but he had a full on feeding frenzy. There wasn't a seat. There was not one seat, which now that's how it is when I do mine, but it was because of Ronnie that I went to all my sponsors and I said, gang, I need the hats. I need the stickers. I need, cause Ronnie had it wired like I had never seen before because he built up this hype that if you came to his seminar, you were going to get stuck. And you know, as good as anybody, 90% of the people wandering around the Fred Hall show are there for one reason, the free stuff. And man, when you can fill up your seminar with people because you got a bag of stuff you're going to, I was like, that's what I'm going to do.
0: I was like Ronnie's <laughs> degree is in sociology, which is the study of the behavior of groups of people.
1: Oh my god, he understood hair that. My ex stand up because I forgot all about that until you were just talking about him, and I'm like, he's the reason the the frenzy that he had at that show, and I was just like. I have to have that frenzy, and now I have it. Now it's it follows me everywhere I go, and everybody knows when they come, they see the big black bag full of free stuff, and they I'm like the Pied Piper. But that was because of Ronnie. Yes, no no doubt about it. He he understood how to
0: how to uh, control the behavior of groups of people, whether it was in business. And uh, there was a time I I can't remember what year, but um, he was voted the tenth most important person or most influential person i forget what um this was by sporting goods business magazine the 10th most important person in the entire sporting goods industry number one just to give you an idea number one was phil knight of nike oh wow so, so he ronnie was 10th um so that's that's the kind of 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 level that that he was able to bring to his business but you know what just like me, it's like I will always be that kid at Redondo, hoping for a bite from something. I didn't. I don't even care what. Uh, Ronnie was still always that kid from Riverside. You know. F- you know. Uh, you know. Fishing in. You know. In the sloughs and whatnot, in the backwaters of Riverside, he was still always that too. Um, even given his extreme intellect, he just he just fishing was what he loved.
1: Oh, he could bring him up into a frenzy like I'd never seen before. But now you and I both do that every day, and that's because of Ronnie. But real quick, a good friend of mine, good member, good, good, uh, good guy, Tim was just asking if you had one surface iron that you had to have, Steve. What what do you bring it? Because Tim Tim's into fishing big time. Oh well,
0: um, a jig that I still—it's not one of my treasured oldies, but it's my most bit jig. When I have to get a bite, it's uh, my—it's about a 1978 <laughs> Taddy 45, um, in what, what they call it, bird something now. Uh, back then, they, they called the color sardine, and I can't tell you how many hooks it's gone through. Um, I get the you know the open eye treble hooks. Uh, and um, uh, just kind of, you know, cut cut the old hook off and put on a, a fresh open-eye treble hook. I would it's say it, go, it goes through probably two hooks a year. Is it in one of those pictures right there? Can you see those? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it, the upper right, the second from the right,
1: that's the color right there. There you go. That, yeah, one? that one there. That's the okay, color. Okay, there you go, Tim. Doesn't get any better than that. That's answering the question. He's calling it green
0: sardine. We just called it the sardine back then, but now it's called green sardine. Sometimes I okay. use another word.
1: <laughs> yeah, we can't do that. We don't want to get shut down. Okay. Steve, you got another thing that you, you're the most humble human on the planet. You got another thing. You are rated number three in the world for something. Well, that's that. You know what? Full disclo- disclosure. That's
0: fairly old. I know. Um, that's book. the the book the the movie from a a few years ago the big year and sort of the uh the the, um uh the hobby of lifeless moved over from birding the hobby of birding which i have a number of friends that are into that um and moved into fishing so before the hobby of birding uh polluted fishing with people that collected lifeless that would do stuff like go to panama and fish with a sabiki rig, you know, and just to collect. There's now people that you know that have over a thousand species. But about eight or ten years ago, I put together a list of all my species, which at the time was around uh, two seventy five. And IGFA was actually was actually compiling a list of people that had you know caught the most. They wanted to know who had caught the most IGFA of quote unquote official species. And I sent him in a list of everything that I had ever caught, you know, right down to uh, Lahontan redside, red side, you know, uh, that I caught off the dock at Lake Tahoe when I was a kid. Um, and at the time, uh, I was ahead of everybody except for two people in, in total species. And I wasn't that high in, you know, a, official lifetime species. You know, I never caught a Tangigi or any of the stuff that's in the Southern, Southern hemisphere, but, um, uh, yeah, so full disclosure, I'm not ranked number three anymore. Um, okay. You know, I'm probably not even number 33 anymore. But at one time, <laughs> at one time that,
1: yeah. that was a pretty cool distinction. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Now, real quick, Arnie, we're going to go to your question in a minute, Tim. What? But Arnie wanted to say something that I uh, – and because of you, I give those hard hats out at my show, Arnie, and thank you. But uh, see what he's saying there? That's a pretty good honor for me and you. Yeah. Thank you very much, Arnie. We appreciate that a lot. And both of us try to keep everybody entertained. I mean, it's it's a high energy. The worst thing that happens to both of us when we're at the shows is they'll schedule us at the same time on different stages, which sucks because it's not fair to the audience because they both want to see both of us. So that they're all working on that. We have conversation with them. But Tim had a great question, which is super important. What is your go to connection? Not. From your fluoro to your braid or from your fluoro to your mono? Okay. Going from the hook up from the hook to the reel.
0: Okay. Onto uh, a jig and most bait hooks are uh, single San Diego. Um, I'm a little bit OCD. Imagine that. So I never, I never allow a, 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 a knot to get old and stale. I'm cutting and retying kind of all the time, a little bit obsessively. Um, so single San Diego and exactly how many turns kind of varies a little bit um, depending on, on if it's floral or mono and what brand of what pound test. So anything from uh, you know, five turns with hundred pound mono up to maybe seven turns with 20 pound um, lighter than 20 pound. I'll usually actually use a Palomar on the end uh, Palomars I have not found to be a good knot with heavy, with, especially above 50 pound test. But, uh, bill pool all those years ago invented the San Diego when nobody was straight tying with, with heavy monofilament and it's still good. Uh, yeah, I know that the double San Diego always wins all the knot contests and, uh, but it's a little bit of a bulky, knot, you know, especially when you're tying on a bait hook, but even for iron, it's a good, it's a good knot to tie for trolling. Um, Then moving up, uh, connecting, uh, um, a floral leader to a mono top shot. Uh, I like the um, the surgeon's knot. It's really super easy to teach to everybody. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm teaching a lot of people to do it. And it's just really, really simple, hard, hard to do anything wrong. And uh, four turns with almost any pound test, except under 20 pound test, I'll go to five turns. And just a lot of spit and pull it down, make it make it tight. And then moving up from the top shot to the braid, um, most of the time I will tie a um, an RP, uh, aka John Collins knot. Exactly how many turns? Again, will vary. Usually seven or eight. I actually did a seminar with with um, with Art Taylor at the PCS show, and Art is convinced that nine turns is is the correct number of turns. I can't make the knot the the knot, you know, tighten up properly with nine turns. So what I generally tell people with any knot is use the most number of turns that you can get the knot to slide down and seat fully. Using, <laughs> and different people have different amounts of spit. So, um, you know, you want, if your knot is not seated fully, it's not gonna be a strong knot. So uh, you'll have to experiment a little bit with the, with the brand and the pound test of line that you're using. Um, for me, most of the time it's seven or eight turns RP knot, and then also I have my little trick, my little secret. I'm going to give away my secret, Dave. Oh no! Here's my go. secret of, of the record. RP knot. Get so uh, I don't have I don't have line to show you. So after you've done your RP knot, you kind of go back through the hole. I go back through again a second time, and then that I tighten it great. all up. And and the other thing that I'll do if I have the chance is I'll add a little drop of tack glue. Tack glue does not make the knot stronger, but it does the kind of the one bad thing that can happen with an RP knot is that the, the the end can kind of get frayed and kind of fluffy and just sort of fall fall through the through the hole and then your knot just falls apart. So if you glue it, it keeps the 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 loose end from from fluffing up and getting loose. Doesn't really make the knot stronger. So through twice and a drop of tack glue. That's that's my secret. On um, on uh, mono or floral to braid, and you have to you kind of have to figure out with your spit um, how many turns is is best for you. Um, like say, our tailor says not. I can't make that work. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's those. Those are my go-to knots. Uh, every once in a while, I'll use other knots depending on what's going on. Um, but a lot of times, I have to tie knots. You know, in the dark without having had coffee. Um, my glasses are all. <laughs> are all steamed up and they got salt on salt them, salt all over and, them. and i have to be able to um you know to replicate and that's the key to any knot is tying it the same way every time
1: and that's something that definitely is it something that you said right in the beginning of this when you're having your connection to your lure or your hook is changing that knot all the time that is something that you and i are Anybody that fishes a lot, a lot, a lot, we understand because when we get lazy and we throw that bait out that next time without changing the knot or we cast our lure out, goodbye lure, goodbye hook, goodbye goodbye fish of a lifetime, goodbye fish, fish. It is super important. Steve just kind of breezed over it because he was covering so many connections, but when you are catching fish, when you catch a fish, you get your fish on the boat. You take your lure out of the fish's mouth. You take your hook out. You f- take your finger, run it down that line. Look at that knot. If it even, think for one second, it ain't right. Cut it, retie it. Don't even hesitate, right? Right. And I, I start out with, um,
0: for me, I start out with about a six-foot piece of fluorocarbon. Again, if I'm bait fishing, tie it on with that with that uh, surgeon's knot. And um, I don't even feel it. I cut the hook off anyway. And then feel it, <laughs> um, and usually, you know, depending on what's going on, sometimes, you know, the the, the gill or the tail or something hit the hit the the uh, the leader five feet up, and then I just cut the whole thing off and retie it. But even if everything feels fine, um, I can usually cut it back twice, and by that point, you know, my, my piece of fluorocarbon is now maybe three feet long, and then it's time to retie the the surgeon's knot too. And, you know, sometimes you get, you know, when you're fishing on a boat with 25 of your best friends you didn't know you had, um, I'm always feeling not just a few feet above my hook, I'm, I'm glancing and feeling with my thumb, um, you know, many, many yards above my hook. And sometimes I just, you know, just like, oh, no, I've got to cut back quite a bit. But, um, and, and I fish a little bit longer top shots than a lot of people. Now, my loaners that I loan out when I'm on my Penn Fishing University trips, uh, my loaner rigs pretty much all have 50-yard top shots. And the boat crews always thank me. <laughs> They're like, thank you so much, Steve. Um, it, it makes their lives so much easier. It's easier for them to get out of a tangle if a fish is circling and rubbing on the bottom of the boat. The mono survives much better than the braid does. Um, and should the worst happen, should, should you get cut off, then it's quick, easy, and cheap to replace a mono top shot um, even me, I mean, I get a discount, but if I lose a hundred yards of braid off of, off of one of my reels, it hurts. Oh yeah. Um, you know, so um, yeah, I, I, I like a, a bit of top shot, you know, there there's something to be said for ultra ultra sore top shots. And I usually have one or two rigged boat rods rigged up that way. But uh, in general, uh, you know, even my personal rods have 25 to 50 yard top shots uh, just because in the long run, I end up with more fish on the boat. You Thanks, Mike hooked, Meredith. You thank you very much. long when the fish is hooked, once he's actually
1: hooked, if you've got a little bit longer top shot. And one thing we have to always remember is Steve is fishing on party boats, sport boats, my father boats. We mostly are fishing on private boats. So that's why I'm not so worried about other people touching the line 100 yards up, but you're getting burned off all day, every day because it's hard. Let's be honest. It's when that bluefin or when that yellowtail is fishing, it's combat fishing, really, because there is five or six guys that have a clue and then there's the other 20 that don't, but the boat wouldn't go if there wasn't for that other 20. So You got to understand it's a different world than what we teach over at your saltwater guide, I'm teaching mostly private boaters. So the whole idea of the long top shot and all that stuff, you guys hear me talk about, it's not so necessary, but when you're doing what Steve does all the time, running these schools and going out with 30, 20, 30 people on a boat at a time, that's a whole different animal. It's a to- Steve and I could sit here and talk to you about proper etiquette, proper way to fish on a sport boat, our heads fall off it's a different animal than private boat it's a hundred times different than a private boat it's it's a totally different animal if it's a team
0: sport fishing's a team sport when you're on the big boats absolutely not an individual sport you're not not out there flinging a dry fly by yourself you've got a lot of people to to be aware of
1: and the number one thing most sport boat captains don't want to see is you coming on the boat with a full spool of braided line because 90% of the people don't know what to do with it. And it causes the most hellacious tangles and there's no way out of it. When that thing is a big giant wad of that braid. where back in the day, you can weave out the mono, You can weave it out and get out. But that when they got that giant ball of braid, cause the guy didn't know he wasn't, he just keeps letting his line out and he's in the biggest tangle of his life. So that's why gang, okay, the things we're talking about, you're like, well, Dave, that's not what you talk. Yeah. It's a different animal, right, Steve? Completely. Yeah. Completely different. And, and, and yes,
0: if, if you're fishing on your own boat by yourself or with one or two friends, then the short top shot has a dramatic number of great advantages. But, but when you're again, when you're on, on that boat with, and, and it's been a long time, and you know, just out of nostalgia, the whole concept of limited load came out of the insane El Nino year of 1983. Prior to 1983, the San Diego boats, the oh. Newport boats, everybody it was like Coast Guard Limit. Right. I fished on the searcher, I can remember when, when Frank owned it with 85 people for Albacore. Well, Gary Gary Imagine that I fished on the qualifier 105 with a hundred people. Gary Black has a,
1: Gary Black has a phenomenal story. I interviewed him and he's talking about the first trip that they ran on the Qualifier 105. He comes out of, he wakes up wide open AlbaCore stop. He walks down, he gaffs a guy's fish, snaps the line off, grabs by the tail, goes, what number are you? And the guy goes 105. And he goes, no, no, no. I know what boat you're on. What number are you? And he goes, I'm number 105. And he goes in the gallon and he looks and there's 112 people on the boat. He about pooped his pants. That's what it was like until you said 83. And then there was like, Oh, people will pay a little bit of extra money not to fish with 150 people on right.
0: the boat. Right. Yeah. yeah the whole concept was born from that. And uh, thank goodness. Um, you know, now you can, you can, there's ultra limited and ultra, ultra limited, uh, you know, or there's going out on your own boat with, uh, you know, with uh, just you and your best friend, however you want to do it. But but, but yeah, um, there, there is that, that tactical difference of short top shot versus long top shot. No doubt. Right. About
1: it. So that's why but, we're talking kind of different language, but that's why you understand what we're talking about.
0: Yeah. But, 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 uh, you know, I do love that RP knot twice. Remember that? Twice through. And then a little, the little drop of tack glue.
1: That's um, a
0: magic trick right there. And, and I hand out an awful lot of, and, and it's like I have nightmares. Oh my God. Oh my God. What if somebody loses the biggest fish of their life because, because the knot that I tied <laughs> failed? And we've caught a lot of big fish on our trips, especially recently. And um, I have not had, although I've stopped, i stopped loaning out 20 pound rigs. My 20 pound <laughs> rigs now start at 25. I used to get a lot of, uh, you know, again, you're not there. You don't know what happens when, when, when somebody hooks a fish and it zooms off on 20 pound tests, but they're like this. They're, they're tightening up the drag, and they would bring bring it back and hold the hold it up to me and say, "Your line broke." <laughs> <laughs> so, I seem to have eliminated that issue by eliminating the twenty pound loaner rig. So now we start at twenty five, and you know, the last couple of years, everybody wants to know how many hundred pound rigs
1: I have to loan. So, uh, that's good. That's yeah. good. That's great. They're starting to understand. We got a couple minutes left. I told Steve we'd only take an hour of his time. Can you believe we already ate through?
0: Man, amazing. amazing. If you
1: have a burning question you want to get through here, we, we can take a question real quick. If you don't, that's fine, too. Steve? What do you have going on? Let's touch on a few of the things, like Angler's Chronicle. You have so much going on every day. I don't know how one man does all the stuff that you do, but oh well. Well, I'm, I'm not only do I I love doing Angler Chronicles. Whatever I can do with Sergio is great.
0: Again, his and my schedules don't always aligned that well. Like I've never been to, I've been to one of his Taco Tuesdays, and I love tacos. So just you know, it's like can't do it. But um, also, uh, every every week I have my own little set, my own little uh, uh, segment. On a, a, a radio show, fishing radio show, a good one in Sacramento um, called California Sportsman with Sepp Hendrickson, and uh, it's funny the the, the uh, Sacramento market's a little different than the Southern California market. It's a fishing and hunting show, and in season, uh, he has live gunfire on the air uh, as people are are, are shooting at, at waterfowl and sometimes turkeys, etc. And I'm just thinking that would never fly in Southern California, but oh, yeah. I love it. And it's a, it's a, it's a real nice show, a little more freshwater oriented, you know, than the you know, than the SoCal shows are, you know, a lot of fishing for trout or kokanee and bass and stuff, but, but it's a fun show. And of course, as you know, they've suddenly discovered that the bluefin tuna don't stop migrating at point conception.
1: Yeah.
0: They migrate right on past. And so it's like a whole new, uh, a group of, of uh, disciples and students on uh, on how to catch those big bluefin, and they caught some very nice bluefin, and they had even had a little tendril of water from Hawaii that for some reason uh, stopped. You came right to like Fort Bragg, and they were catching yellowfin, big eye, bluefin, albacore, and dorado all in the same water. Uh, so that was so... There, there's lots of potential new customers for new uh, new heavy tackle up there as oh, yeah. they, they discover that their old sturgeon gear will not handle 150-pound bluefin, even though it would handle 150-pound sturgeon. So uh, fertile water's up there. Um, yeah. so I do that. And then, of course, we're getting ready for the, the big show. I guess you're not going this year. I know you've been there. The ICAST show in Orlando coming right up. That is take the Fred Hall show, the, the PCS show, multiply by 10. Basically, every fishing tackle manufacturer on the planet is going to be there. Complete sensory overload. I'll, I'll be working mostly in the pen booth. I mean, I've, I've got to work. But um, every time I have a lunch break or a bathroom break or anything, I sneak around and try to see as much stuff as I can. It is spectacular. And I mean, every... Famous TV fishermen, you know, Roland Martin, Bill Dance, Um, you know, they're just roaming the aisles just like anybody else. And uh, you will see sometimes stuff that you're like, they even make that or, um, you know, like, Whoa, who thought of that? Or sometimes you'll see who stole my idea. Yeah. You'll see all these things and more. And um, it's just, I, I, I love it. You know, it's, it's kind of in an inconvenient time, right in the middle of our season all the way in Orlando, which means I lose a whole day traveling to and a whole day traveling from. But, um, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So if you're coming out to that, uh, come see me in the pen booth. I'll be wherever the uh, the new product area is in, in the pen booth. And then right after that, um, I will be on a six-day trip on the Vagabond. Oh, nice. uh, I love fishing with Captain Mike Lackey. Mike Lackey. He, is, he is really a gearhead. It is so much fun. Some of the captains are like, just be down there fishing with your 100-pound gear. And that's fine. You know, they, they're like, they've seen, if you're not using your 100-pound gear, if you try to catch these fish, these big bluefin on 50, you're not going to catch them. Right. But Mike is like, he'll tell you how long the rod should be. He'll tell you what not to use on every connection. He'll say, how many yards does your reel have? Uh, set your drag and strike at this. And, uh, and 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 if you're if you hesitate, He'll send a
1: deck hand down to check on everything that you have. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Matt, real quick, we're gonna end it because we've already gone over your hour. But Matt Martin wanted to know one question real quick, and this will be a great way to finish up the show. Do you see what he says there? Of all your fishing mentors, what is the best fishing advice you have you have ever received? Oh. Oh, my mentors? I guess the one that I
0: the one that I revered the most was Russ Izor. Um, I can't think of any one particular thing, you know, that, that he said, just, you know, I, I think I revered, revered him the most. And I, and I, again, I fished with Don Stansom, you know, Bill Poole, uh, Jerry Morris of the Hermosa tackle box, the old Redondo peeps will remember him. All these people are gone. And, you know, like what I like to say is I, you know, stealing from some president who said that said this, I remember who we stand on the shoulders of giants. Um, I just paid attention. I didn't innovate any of this. I didn't invent any of it. I was just a pesky kid, you know. Hey, kid, don't touch that over there. But, but I was in the room listening when, you know, when these giants of our industry were talking, and, and I worked hard and I paid attention. And, yeah, that's – I can't point to one piece of advice, but uh, just, you know, when, when uh, Taddy Shimizu, um i had the privilege of fishing with him a few times uh way way back in the day on on the redondo special um all these uh, just you know the great so i try to i try to uh, pay it forward as best i can
1: i think you do a phenomenal job at that everything you do is all about teaching and showing and all the stuff you do and all the give back you do i i I really, really, really recognize you for all that. And I'm, I'm proud to call you a friend and I'm very, very happy that you came on my show. Thank you so much. It's a cool yes. show. It's so cool. We had a lot of people watching and thank you everybody for being a part of the show. Thanks for all your cool questions. Thanks for everything you say. Thanks for all the cool things you do. And uh, everybody on Spotify Mega, thank you for all the downloads. Uh, Apple Podcast. I just can't thank everybody enough. I just can't. I pinch myself every day. I just can't believe what we're doing here and that all you are watching us. So thank you very, very much, Steve Carson. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you for making this so cool. And uh, we will see all of you on Monday. Remember, turn off the news. They're all lying to you. The only place you get the truth is right here on your Saltwater Guide. All right. I'll talk to you guys late on Monday. Thank you very much, everybody. Watch Waypoint TV's Great Outdoors Month celebration presented by Battery Tender every Tuesday in June from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Join us for land management tips, family hunts, and conservation-centric films as we show our appreciation for the great outdoors.